0: Hello and welcome to the Answers for Cancers podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Fay. And I'm Michelle Matthews. Together with some of Ireland's leading experts, we want to unravel what it truly means to have cancer. From consultant diagnosis to treatment plans, from managing your symptoms to supports
1: available, we have it covered. So whether you're a nurse working in oncology or have been personally affected by cancer, this podcast is for you. The Answers for Cancers podcast is sponsored by CarePlus Pharmacy. CarePlus Pharmacy is Ireland's leading community pharmacy brand, offering expert advice and services for a healthier and happier you. Find your nearest CarePlus on www.careplus.ie or follow them on social media for health and wellness inspiration and tips. Today on the podcast, we are joined by a very special guest who is Professor Desmond Carney, who's going to cover breast cancer with us. I suppose before I begin, I don't think any introduction that I do is going to amount to the amount of work that this um, this man has done over the years for medical oncology. And we just feel extremely grateful to have worked with him. He retired earlier this year, but he has left behind him an absolute legacy. Um, when myself and Anne-Marie decided to start this podcast last year... Professor Kearney was the first consultant that we spoke to, and despite the fact that he had no idea what a podcast was, he still agreed to jump in head first and be the first consultant that we recorded with and he gave us the confidence to go on and pursue it and um, yeah, reassured us regularly that we were doing a good thing um, because yeah, it was very, very nerve-wracking starting this up. Not only that, when we um, recorded it, because it was the early days myself and um, re-recorded it completely wrong and the sound was awful, so he then agreed to come back on the podcast and re-recorded again with us just to ensure that we were getting the best quality of um, education out there for our patients. So we just feel extremely grateful to him, not only for the time that he's given us uh, for the podcast, but in general, all the education that he's given us over the years that we've worked with him, it's been an absolute pleasure. Like I said, um, he did retire this year, but um, I don't. I don't think I'm going to be able to say enough about him. But just a couple of things. Um, if you do ever go to get your chemotherapy in the Matter Hospital, you'll actually be getting it in the Carney Oncology Haematology Day Unit, which was named after Professor Kearney. and there's a painting of him on the wall as you as you walk into the unit. Not only that, he was also instrumental in establishing the ARC Cancer Support Service, which you may have heard before um, a few episodes ago, how important that is for our patients and how much benefit uh, patients and their families get from this support. So again, we're just extremely grateful to Professor Carney for giving us the time uh, to speak to us on the podcast today about breast cancer and also all the time um, that he's given us over the years that we've worked with him.
0: So good morning, Professor Kearney, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're delighted to have you here today to talk about breast cancer. So we'll start with the basics, and if you could just explain what breast cancer is and how common it is in Ireland.
2: Breast cancer is a malignant transformation of the cells within the breast. Obviously, it predominantly affects women, although a small proportion of males will get breast cancer. Throughout their lifetime, there's about one in nine people with females will get breast cancer, and it affects all age groups, and all different races can get it. What causes breast cancer? For the majority of people, they have no family history. Some people have a strong family history, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Prolonged use of hormone replacement therapy may increase the risk only by a small amount. Breast cancer is usually diagnosed by the woman themselves and a lot of people by feeling a lump. Mobile, doesn't go away, not necessarily related to the menstrual cycle. Screening programs also pick up a lot of women with breast cancer. The whole idea of screening mammography is that you can detect breast cancer early. By detecting it early means less aggressive surgery, less aggressive treatment, and a much better outcome. Breast cancer is diagnosed in many different ways. The patient tends to be referred to a surgeon for triple assessment. That means a physical examination, a mammogram, plus or minus an ultrasound, and then a biopsy. Occasionally for younger women, particularly, an MRI of both breasts may be carried out. It's also important that if a mammogram is done, it's done on both sides, even though that you may feel the lump on one side or the other. A biopsy is usually done at the first sitting and that's known as a core biopsy. And from that you get an idea of what the type of breast cancer it is, if it is indeed breast cancer, and how to deal with it. If you feel anything in the lymph nodes, there's often a core biopsy of the lymph nodes done and I'll come back to that a little bit later. Once the biopsy is taken, the pathology is really important. That gives you an idea if you're dealing with ductal carcinoma in situ, which is like, not truly pre-malignant, but it's DCIS, which is, doesn't spread in the same way like the cancer does. Then you've got ductal carcinoma, lobular carcinoma, or a mixture. The key studies to be done are degrade, meaning how aggressive is the tumor, Is it oestrogen-positive, progesterone-positive, or HER2-positive? And those three biological markers dictate how the person may be treated once the final diagnosis is made. So they are critical assessments that are done early on in the stage of the evaluation of a lady with breast cancer. If the histology is that of DCIS, the management is totally different than an invasive carcinoma. So the key thing to separate out at the beginning ductal carcinoma in situ, i.e. DCIS or invasive carcinoma. If the person has DCIS and you've detected it on a screening mammogram and an MRI, and if it's amenable to wide local excision, the treatment is surgical removal alone, followed by local field radiotherapy. If it's multifocal, meaning throughout the whole of the breast, then that person may need to undergo a mastectomy. All of those options have to be discussed with the patient. Some people may decide, I want a mastectomy because I don't really want to go through four to six weeks of radiation, or I have a family at home and I need to be at home for them. So all of these treatment decisions, surgery particularly, has to be discussed in detail with the patient. So DCIS, confirm the diagnosis, do your mammogram, your MRI, and do your surgery. If it's a wide local excision, which is a lumpectomy, that then is followed by radiation, and radiation is roughly four to six weeks of radiotherapy on a daily basis, Monday to Friday. The other type of breast cancer is invasive ductal carcinoma, invasive lobular carcinoma. That's truly cancer, it's invasive, and if it's not managed properly, there's a risk of spreading to the other organs, the local organs first, and distal metastasis. So if you do your biopsy and it's an invasive breast cancer, And generally, you also try and look at the axilla as well to see if there's any lymph node involvement. And if on the ultrasound or indeed the mammogram, you see lymph node involvement, prior to doing your surgery, they will often do a fine needle aspirate or a co-biopsy of the lymph node because that may dictate the type of surgery the person needs. You've done your physical examination. You know it's an invasive cancer. The treatment is now surgery followed by either radiotherapy, hormonal therapy, chemotherapy, or a combination of all of the above. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Yep. The planning of the surgery is the same as that for DCIS. How big is the tumor? It is it amenable to a wide local excision? What is the patient's option? What do they want? In general, for small lesions, the surgeon does a wide local excision and what is known as the sentinel lymph node biopsy. The sentinel lymph node is is detected by a dye test at the time of surgery, and the dye goes to the first lymph node that you might assume cancer cells would go to. And that lymph node is removed at the time of the wide local excision for the primary tumor. So the initial assessment of a patient for a small lesion is a wide local excision and a sentinel lymph node biopsy. You wait for the full pathology results to come back. How big is the tumor? Are the margins clear? what's the grade is a lymphovascular space invasion. And as before, the oestrogen receptor, progesterone and HER2 status. If the central lymph node is negative, no further surgery is really considered. If the central lymph node is positive, there will be a discussion whether you need to go back and remove all the glands in the axilla, which is a lymph node dissection, or at least some of the glands. Because that will dictate further treatment as we move forward. If the lesion is very large, say more than 4 or 5 centimeters, and it's not clear that they can get full surgical removal, sometimes a mastectomy is the best treatment option for that patient with the central node or lymph node biopsies at that time. We'll come back to it later, but for some people with a large tumor, you may consider preoperative chemotherapy. That's only in the minority. So we've done our surgery, we've done a wide local excision, we've done a sentinel node biopsy. Now the treatment is, what further treatment does that lady need? Well if she said a wide local excision, she definitely needs radiation to her breast area. Otherwise the risk of coming back in that breast, in the ipsilateral breast, is too high. So the postoperatively the patient will be considered for radiotherapy. The systemic treatment meaning to try and prevent the cancer coming back can be hormonal therapy if it's estrogen receptor positive or if there's a lot of lymph nodes involved chemotherapy and for a small proportion of people who are positive for the HER2 receptor they get an anti-HER2 agent such as Herceptin. Once Once the surgery is complete and we've got the full results from the pathology department regarding the primary tumor, the grade, its size, estrogen status, R2 status, the nodal status, we will then make a decision about whether that person needs any further systemic treatment. And
0: by systemic treatment, do you mean chemotherapy?
2: Chemotherapy, or hormones, or anti 2 treatments. Yeah. <laughs> Radiation therapy has a different set of criteria and the role for systemic treatment is separate. Okay. Some people will consider that all patients who have a diagnosis of invasive breast cancer should undergo staging procedures post-operatively before systemic treatment takes place. You could say an early stage disease doesn't need it, but perhaps it might be useful for everybody that they have a CT scan and a bone scan to make sure it hasn't spread. Mm-hmm. If breast cancer spreads, the most likely places it will go to will be bone, mm-hmm. and then to the visceral organs, such as lung and liver, or to the draining lymph nodes, which would be the axilla, the neck, and the mediastinum. Mm-hmm. So your scanning is really looking to see if the cancer has already spread at the time of diagnosis. Mm -hmm. For any of our patients that we're considering for systemic treatment like chemotherapy, we would always do the scans before we start.
0: And if you weren't considering chemotherapy, you wouldn't scan? I still might. You might. Because I suppose the biopsy is only as accurate as to where the needle goes, isn't it?
2: No, the biopsy, the first biopsy you do is to confirm the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. DCIS versus invasive cancer. Mm -hmm. Then you plan your surgery and you've done your lumpectomy plus the central node and auxiliary dissection. Now you've got an invasive cancer with lymph node involvement. They need systemic treatment. By and large, most of those patients will be scanned.
1: Okay.
2: Don't let me forget alcohol type testing. Yep.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Uh,
2: so I think we've talked about the surgery, which is a wide local excision versus a mastectomy. Mm-hmm. In general, it's followed by radiotherapy for most patients. There's a sentinel node biopsy done at the time of surgery. If that's positive, more auxiliary surgery may be required. Yep. We've now done our surgery. We have the results. We're now having to decide what type of treatment the patient needs further. We did say they needed radiotherapy if they divide local excision. Yep. Or indeed, some people have had a mastectomy for a large tumor. Positive margins will also need postoperative radiotherapy. And patients with significant lymph node involvement will also need post radiotherapy. And that radiotherapy is four to five, four to six weeks, Monday to Friday. Two main side effects: radiation burn in the chest wall. Mm-hmm. Rarely, rarely do people get a burn, they get a bit of redness, but they get quite fatigued as they get towards the end of the radiotherapy. The timing of the radiotherapy is done in conjunction whether there's a plan for that patient to get further systemic treatment plus certainly chemotherapy in general if they're just getting hormonal therapy the radiotherapy is done about six weeks after the surgery when the wound is fully healed mm-hmm. if they're getting chemotherapy unless there's a crisis the radiotherapy is done at the end of the chemotherapy mm-hmm. so that's the timing
1: and what's the break usually after chemo two to
2: four weeks two to four weeks. once they've got over the neutropenic phase
1: perfect and for patients who are getting radiotherapy and hormone treatment would you advise them to start the hormone treatment at the same time as the radiation yeah yeah
2: you know i mean the side effects of hormones are totally different but yeah sometimes it's easier to do one thing at a time
1: yeah
0: can i just ask you to just um you mentioned the how the margin surgical margins determine some of the treatment post operatively do you mind just explaining what the actual surgical margins are
2: when the lump is removed from the breast the pathologist is going to report it wants to let you know that the edges of the tumour are completely clear. Mm -hmm. And that's what we mean by the surgical margins. Perfect. If they're not completely clear, either you go back and do more surgery, but you would certainly take that into consideration in planning a radiotherapy. Mm -hmm. The ideal is to remove the lump with clear margins, Mm -hmm. meaning there is nothing left behind. Mm -hmm. For some people it's worth considering and discussing with them prior to (laughs) surgery particularly if they have to undergo a mastectomy, they might want to consider immediate reconstruction. And they need to discuss that with the surgeon who's involved and maybe the plastic specialist. Our lady with invasive carcinoma has had her surgery. Um, The margins are clear. The nodes are clear. Does she need any further systemic treatment once she's had her radiation done? So if it's estrogen positive, HER2 negative, consideration will be for hormonal therapy. Yep. And hormonal therapy would be drugs that interfere with the production or the activity of oestrogen within the lady's body. And there are drugs such as tamoxifen or the aromatase inhibitors such as letrozole. Mm-hmm. It used to be that if you were node negative, meaning no metastatic involvement of the lymph nodes, you would say hormonal therapy will do fine. Mm-hmm.
3: That's
2: that's a little bit of guesswork because some people would have an aggressive tumour. Mm -hmm. So for all the people who are node-negative, estrogen-positive, and HER2-negative or maybe one to three lymph nodes involved, we do the Oncotype test. Mm -hmm. The Oncotype test is a genomic test, a measurement of numerous genes within the breast cancer tumors and it predicts the likelihood of a recurrence with hormonal therapy alone and the benefit of added chemotherapy. So you might get a recurrence score of 10 which means the likelihood of recurrence over the next nine years is ten percent and it indicates no benefit from added chemotherapy. You might get a recurrence score of thirty-one, which means the hormonal therapy is not going to be very effective mm. and that group will need chemotherapy. Okay. For Even for the person who's an oestrogen positive, node negative HER2 tumor, we now do oncotype tests on them all. Okay. Mm-hmm. It takes the guesswork out of what's the right treatment.
0: So essentially nearly everybody gets it now they
2: should all get it okay
1: and am i right in thinking it's kind of been transformative in uh, saving kind of over treating patients who don't need it
2: does two things Mm. it gives you reassurance that hormone therapy is the right therapy for this lady it also selects out those patients with an early breast cancer who actually might need or benefit from chemotherapy yeah so it does both yeah and we that result takes a couple of weeks Mm And in general, we would show the patient the results when they come back. Okay. And it's on a graphic form. It's very easy to read. Mm-hmm. And you can do that for perhaps up to three lymph nodes as well.
1: Okay. And can I ask, at what percent would be the cutoff that you would decide to, to I treat? I think it's about 21 or Is 22. It? Yeah.
2: It's up to 26, but it varies on the age of the patient as well. Okay. okay. And there's a graph, and you can show that to the patient. And the higher the score, the greater the benefits from chemo. So it's given you an idea how effective hormone therapy is going to be for mm. that lady, but it also says, you know, some people believe it or not, will say, should I have chemo as well?
0: Yeah.
2: And you're going to say, well, there's no benefit. You don't mm-hmm, need mm-hmm.
0: it. Like you say, it takes the guesswork. So that kind takes of, the guesswork out yeah. of it. Yeah.
2: It's really made a big difference. Yeah. 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 So for the person with a small tumor, small number of lymph nodes involved, that's HER2-negative, estrogen-positive, progesterone-positive. We nearly do an oncotype in all of them and that's for some reason it's contraindicated like if you've got an elderly lady with cardiac disease you're not going to ever give chemotherapy to Mm -hmm. you probably wouldn't do it yeah Yeah. that's just all Mm -hmm. what i mean
1: yeah and can i just ask how long does it normally take for the oncotype test to come back two to three weeks okay
2: it's not long Mm -hmm. you know the pathology report is usually back within a week in person is generally seen by medical oncology within a few weeks when the wound is healing. Mm. And usually by then, the surgeon would have sent off the oncotype test.
0: Perfect.
2: You know, but it's definitely worth waiting for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, we've talked about HER2. HER2 is a receptor on the small proportion of breast cancer tumors that really predicts quite an aggressive tumor. Mm. Because the HER2 drives the growth of the tumor cell. And it used to be a negative prognostic marker. Nowadays, we have agents that specifically target the HER2 receptor, and the most commonly used one is Herceptin, but there's other ones like pertuzumab and even down the line a little bit, TDM1. (laughs) Anybody who's got a HER2 positive tumor should be considered for combination chemo with the target agent Herceptin. That will give that person the absolute best outcome. In my opinion, the targeted agent has transformed the outcome of people who are HER2 positive tumours yeah. of diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And we, 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 we do it all the time. Yeah. The disadvantage perhaps of Herceptin by the HER2, anti-HER2 agents, in a small proportion of people it can affect the cardiac muscle, the pumping of the heart mm-hmm. and lead to cardiac failure. Mm-hmm. So all patients being considered for anti-HER2 therapy have to have cardiac assessments done beforehand and be monitored frequently while they're on the HER2 treatment. And in the adjuvant setting, meaning the post-operative setting, the anti-HER2 treatment with Herceptin goes on for a calendar year. Mm. So it's, it, it's almost 12 months of treatment. Yeah. Usually the first six months of that treatment, it's combined with chemotherapy. Then the Her- Herceptin is used on its own for the second six months. That's approximate figures. Mm-hmm. And the radiation can come in as soon as the chemotherapy is finished. You don't have to wait for the radiation to be done at the end of the Her- HER2. Yeah. But they have to be monitored going forward with a cardiac status. Yep.
1: And if I was a patient who got diagnosed with HER2, how would you how do you explain how HER2 acts on the breast? So what
2: I explained to do it is that this is really stupid. <laughs> I explained to the patient the light switch on the wall mm-hmm. is driving the power into the lights. The HER2 is the trigger that drives the cancer cell. Mm-hmm. We're gonna switch it off like we switch off the light. Mm-hmm. So, just to try and make it understanding mm-hmm. for any of us, yeah, it's a it's a compound within the cell that's driving the cell, making it behave more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Herceptin blocks that, so it's turning off the switch, mm-hmm. and that's what it does.
1: That's a good way of That's yeah. the way mm-hmm.
2: I, yeah. I point to the light switch when I'm yeah. trying to explain yeah. it to them, and so that's what it does. It's turning that driving off. It's, it's
0: better the easiest way to absorb it, yeah. just a simple analogy like that. It's a simple. Yeah. yeah, And
2: in many ways, that's what it does in a more technical way. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't um, want to see the pictures I've drawn for people trying to explain <laughs> it. So no, but just think of the light yeah, switch. That's yeah. a good way.
2: Yeah. You turn the light on, it's driving the power. Yeah, yeah. You turn it off, it turns it off. That's what her two, That's what her septum does. Mm. So we've talked about the radiation therapy, mm-hmm. we've talked about the systemic treatment. So I'm just going to very briefly mention, we've talked about hormonal therapy, yeah. such as Tamoxifen different, for more older women aromatase inhibitors such as letrozole or aromidex
0: so tamoxifen is premenopausal in general yeah
2: but if you've got a lady with hypercholesterolemia bad arthritis an aromatase inhibitor will not suit her and i will use tamoxifen in that situation Yeah. so if they've got a cardiac disease osteoarthritis hypercholesterolemia i'm going to use a tamoxifen instead of aromatase inhibitor yeah. there's a marginal benefit of the aromatase inhibitor mm-hmm. in the postmenopausal ladies Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And again, these are for the ER-positive.
2: ER-positive. Yep. ER-positive patients.
0: Yeah.
2: In general, hormonal therapy is for a minimum of five years. Yep. In general. <laughs> for people at high risk, so you've got a young lady, you've done her surgery, she's got 10 lymph nodes involved, you know her risk of recurrence is higher, you may continue on the hormonal therapy for 10 years. Okay. Now you have to balance everything up. One of the advantages of Tamoxifen, it doesn't cause osteoporosis. aromatase mm. inhibitors will cause osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. So you take all those consideration into mm. consideration when you're planning which hormone to give them.
1: Yeah. And, and the there's no question
2: th- about it. The Tamoxifen, yeah, for sure in younger women, will cause me- menopausal symptoms. A
1: mm.
2: little bit of nausea, uh, vaginal dryness, night sweats. In, in general, they settle into it. And the first month or two, there's also a lot of background nausea with the hormone therapy. Sometimes I tell patients taking it at night, I think it's a bit easier, but I don't know if that's really scientifically proven or not.
0: Okay. And was would a patient need to be monitored on tamoxifen if they're on, like in a hospital, would they need to have their bloods done regularly no. or
2: no No. So generally, for patients who are on hormonal therapy alone, uh, either they're seen by the medical oncologist or the surgeon and can be just followed. So once they've settled into it, in general i wouldn't do any more than six monthly visits knowing that they can contact the team at any time in between if there's any issues Mm -hmm. and they must have a screening mammogram done annually going forward almost forever okay Mm -hmm. for the people with a low risk oestrogen positive tumor perhaps hormonal therapy for five years is sufficient for a high risk meaning they know positive disease or acquired chemo you'd keep the hormones going for for 10 years if they can manage it
1: And I'm in the premenopausal women on tamoxifen. You can't conceive when you're no, on you that
2: okay. So you need to use and it's not, not necessarily contraceptive. Mm. The one thing about tamoxifen that's always worth remembering. Lots of people travel and fly and have surgery. Mm-hmm. They need to be aware that there's a risk of a class with with tamoxifen. Okay. Mm. Um, so if they're having surgery they should stop it beforehand or at least talk to their surgeon. Or if they're going to Australia, probably should stop it before they fly okay. and wear the stockings and flex, you know, all those things that yeah. we do to prevent clots anyway.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: In general, is really well tolerated,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but you have to be aware of the side effects, particularly for younger women. Okay. Yeah. When, is, when is chemotherapy indicated? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about the lady who's post-operative.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: chemotherapy should be generally considered for people, younger women with significant lymph node involvement, or people with a high oncotype score are people who are HER2-positive. Yeah. There's a number of different chemotherapeutic regimens available, and the choice of what to use will depend on, particularly the performance status of the patient, the cardiac status, their fitness level, um, have they a neuropathy, are they on drugs for arthritis, what other medications are they on. And I, d- I don't think there's a lot to be gained by going through the different regimens. Okay. In general, for people who are fit enough, who need chemotherapy, we use a regimen called dose-dense ac mm-hmm. but there's other regimens for the elderly purple that you might consider. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: If they're HER2 positive,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Herceptin is added to the chemo in the item setting. Yeah. So the classic example again is ac taxol. We would use ac taxol plus Herceptin. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned earlier on, the Herceptin goes on for 12 months provided their cardiac status remains stable throughout yeah
1: and is that why they don't they give the herceptin with the taxol and not the ac because yes, of the cardiac, cardiac toxic. okay
2: so once you've done the, i know we all do our echocardiograms and ecg at the beginning great it's fine gotta repeat it repeated again before you start the mm-hmm. Yeah. in general are people at high risk of recurrence and high oncotype score significant lymph node involvement or anybody who's hurt too positive
0: We'll get back to that conversation in just a minute. I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about our immune systems. While we're all so looking forward to spending more time with friends and family this summer, it's really important to give your immune system a much needed boost in order to protect yourselves and the ones that you love. Strengthen your immunity naturally by visiting your local CarePlus pharmacy for expert advice on a wide range of vitamins and supplements available. Now back to our conversation.
2: Chemotherapy is given in general in an outpatient department. Because it's given quite frequently for those ladies who require it frequently, we often consider putting in an interport to allow easy venous access when they come to the day ward. Mm -hmm. Every patient coming to the day ward has to have their bloods checked, and then they get the chemo and then they go home. Mm -hmm. So it's quite intensive for the patient, and if they're particularly getting the chemo every two weeks or weekly, it's quite tough on them going forward. Mm -hmm. The chemotherapy generally lasts four to six months. If they need herceptin, that's added to the chemo. For example, the regimen AC taxol that we use for a lot of ladies getting chemo, we would add herceptin to the taxol component of the arm.
1: And the biggest side effect with the taxol is kind of the peripheral neuropathy. Peripheral neuropathy. Yeah, yeah.
2: Not so much, well, hair loss, don't forget. Yeah, yeah. Universal hair loss. Almost everybody getting chemotherapy, almost everybody, unless they're elderly, getting different regimens of hair loss mm-hmm. we're very we're much better at managing the immediate side effects such as nausea and vomiting mm. Uh peripheral neuropathy is a side effect of the taxol uh, cardiomyopathy card damage to the heart is a side effect of herceptin and adriamycin. Mm-hmm. and most patients in chemotherapy get lowering of their white cells platelets or red blood cells which makes them more more predisposed to infection Patients have to be informed of the risk of infection with a low white count. Mm -hmm. So they have to contact the unit immediately if they get a temperature between the courses of chemotherapy.
1: And we can give nulasta for that, don't we, with the AC?
2: So if there's a big risk of the patient getting lowering of the white cell count, which is called neutropenia, Mm -hmm. there's a drug that we often use called nulasta, which helps to maintain or speed up the recovery of the white cells. Mm -hmm. So even though the white cells might go low, the risk of them getting an infection is much less And if you cut down the risk of infection, you keep things going on schedule, which is important. We have discussed today the the patient who comes in with the surgical removal breast lump. Some people present extremely late with a very large tumor that would make surgery difficult, or what is known also as an inflammatory breast cancer, where the whole skin and the area of the breast is red and inflamed. Those people have a core biopsy to confirm the diagnosis. They have staging scans done such as a CAT scan and a bone scan to make sure they don't have metastatic disease or whether they do. And those patients are now considered for neoadjuvant or preoperative chemotherapy. That's where we give the chemotherapy first in the hope that we can shrink the tumour down and then consider them for surgical resection.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So that we go through the same process The biopsy is done, is this estrogen positive, progesterone positive, and particularly if it's HER2 positive. If it's HER2 negative, they tend to get treated with the same chemo that we've generally used, such as Acetaxel. Been monitored closely, hope you can shrink it down and make it amenable to surgery. All of these people will have a mammogram and many will have an MRI before you start your treatment. If they're HER2 positive, then they get chemo plus anti-HER2 agents and they usually get chemo plus Herceptin plus pertuzumab. The, the, those two agents together with the chemo increase the pathological response rate making it more amenable to surgery. Mm-hmm. These people are evaluated closely as you're going through the chemo because not everybody will respond.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: In some people the tumor will grow and get worse but they usually a very aggressive tumour. present it late. It's inflammatory. The most people that will shrink it down to make it amenable to surgery. And again, when you've completed your chemo plus your anti-HER2 agents, you repeat your mammogram, you repeat your MRI, the same surgeon is involved and hopefully will do the surgery, which for most people will be a mastectomy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then you'll evaluate the pathology response. Some people have no tumor left some people will have a mixture like 50 50 some people have had no response
3: mm-hmm.
2: but all of them will require post-operative radiotherapy mm-hmm. and then if they're e- estrogen positive they go on hormones as well so the management of the in the neoadjuvant setting it's very key to know the pathology and the hurt status mm-hmm. does that cover that
1: yeah yeah can I ask if somebody is uh, metastatic on diagnosis are they treated um, as aggressively, ACT and, and that, or does it slightly change?
2: So about 10% of women have metastatic disease at diagnosis. That means it has spread beyond the confines of the breast and the draining lymph nodes. Mm. And frequently you'll find that it's in the liver or the lung or in bones. Your management is very much dictated by how bad the metastatic disease is. If you've bone only metastasis, you may live for many years if you to treating the primary breast tumor, may be the same as if they didn't have metastatic disease. Maybe. Also depends on what the patient wants. Mm-hmm. Because when you've metastatic disease, with the current treatment we have, we're not going to cure it, but we can control it for many, many years. So that discussion needs to be had with the patient. Mm-hmm. If they have significant metastatic disease involving their lung or their liver, and in rare cases their brains managing that is the priority over managing the primary tumor in their breast so the treatment of the person with metastatic disease is treatment somebody with metastatic breast cancer so you're going to use the same drugs
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and in, it really depends upon is this person going to get into a crisis quickly yeah. from their metastatic disease okay yeah. so you've come for example somebody comes in and they're short of breath from their metastatic disease in their lung. Mm. You don't have a lot of time to get a response. So those patients will generally be considered for chemotherapy if they're fit enough.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: If someone comes in and they have a few lesions in their bones, but their liver, brain and, and lung are clear, mm. you might just put them on systemic treatment with hormonal therapy. Yeah. So a lot depends upon the fitness, the performance status, and the extent of the metastatic disease.
0: Know yeah. in your experience, that 10% of women that present metastatic a diagnosis like are they generally symptomatic or like how when be sy- that, it's got to that stage,
2: symptomatic easier symptomatic mm. one of the key things I would say the most obvious thing is to examine the patient yeah mm. you know you find an old in the neck they, they're not gonna know about it mm. you feel maybe the other key thing is also is check the other breast yeah the lady comes in and says I have a lump on my left side mm. You better check the other side because they might have checked it themselves. Very mm. few people, they find the lump themselves because they're stretching in the shower and they see a mm. dimple or something along those lines. Mm.
3: Yeah.
2: But a lot of people are symptomatic when they come in. They
3: are, yeah.
2: And, you know, and, and when you're following up people in your clinic who've had it early stage breast cancer, maybe got chemo and hormones and they're now coming back for regular review, mm. listen to them. Yeah. But there's no evidence that doing scans every six to twelve months has any impact upon their outcome. Okay,
0: okay. that's good to know. Because mm. we but we I think have patients are very focused on scans. We, we have well,
2: hundreds of patients coming back who've never recurred. Yeah. And they're 15 years later. If We kept doing scans on them. They they have no quality of life. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: But every time they have a scan, mm. they're worried about what is he going to find in the scan. Yeah. So yeah. I would only do routine. I would only do scans on patients who develop new symptoms, mm. you know, if the lesion has metastatic disease at diagnosis, then you're going to do scans every three to six months to see if they're responding to your treatment. Yeah. You know, mm. yeah. a small proportion of women, like probably less than ten percent, more likely five percent, will have a hereditary cancer gene called BRCA one or BRCA two. In general, they're younger, and they give a strong family history of breast cancer ovarian cancer, are both, are indeed male breast cancer in their family. In general, people who, who are, have these hereditary cancer BRCA genes, breast cancer-associated genes, are younger when they get their breast cancer and have a certain subtype of breast cancer which we call triple negative, meaning their tumours do not express any of the markers that we normally look for, oestrogen, progesterone or her septum. They tend to be a more aggressive type of breast cancer so generally anybody with a triple negative breast cancer will undergo surgery, post-operative radiotherapy required and systemic chemotherapy Mm -hmm. and then they get followed up closely on an outpatient basis. We talked about the role of immunotherapy in breast cancer. It's beginning to have a role, Mm -hmm. particularly in the triple negative breast cancers. So if a lady with triple negative breast cancer who's got her treatment and then two, three, four years later recurs, and you put her back in chemotherapy, then immunotherapy has been shown in that particular situation to prolong the response rate.
1: So if somebody presents as triple negative breast cancer, should they be tested for BRCA?
2: Yes, they yep. should be. Or if they have a strong family history.
0: Mm. So you need to present with triple negative or have a family history. If you have a
2: strong test. family history and or triple negative breast cancer in the young age group, mm. you should do genetic testing. For the patient themselves, if they're BRCA positive and you've dealt with their breast cancer and everything is perfect, mm. then you would consider removal of their ovaries to mm. cut down their risk of getting ovarian cancer. Yeah. So the BRCA genes increases your risk of getting breast cancer, ovarian cancer, are both
1: and if you are BRCA positive, what's your perc- Like, if so, say if my mom was BRCA positive, what's the percentage of me getting a it, genome? You know? It's quite high, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you carry the BRCA gene, it's a really high percentage of getting breast cancer, isn't it? It what?
2: is very high. So, the the if you're okay, so in general, mm. if one's mother is carrying the genes, you could say you have a 50 50 chance of getting one of those genes, yeah. but. It doesn't quite work out like that. It could be less or more. It could be 100% yeah. or, 50 or 0%. Because you have a good gene and a bad gene. Mm-hmm. If you get the, the bad gene with your father's gene, you're a yeah. bracket carrier. Yeah. But you could get the, the good gene from your mother as well as from your dad and not be a bracket carrier.
0: So if that actually that happens regularly enough, do you think that if you find it, you have the gene, you can...
2: The number of people with the gene is quite low. Mm. But I mean, in general, we would discuss oophorectomies with them. Yeah. Because and whether they want the... And surgery on the other side or not is very much their decision. Mm. I've had some young people who just bilateral mastectomies. Yeah. Others who don't want to know about it. Mm. Yeah. But at least you're going to be monitoring the person from yeah. their breast. Very hard to monitor the ovaries. There's one other small area where one needs to be very careful in monitoring people for the risk of breast, breast cancer. Mm. Young women get Hodgkin's lymphomas, like young men. Mm-hmm. And part of their treatment frequently involves mediastinal radiotherapy. Yeah. That will increase your risk of getting breast cancer. Mm. So they have to be monitored a little closer mm. with frequent mammograms at a younger age. You? It's a very small proportion, mm. but I, you know, we've all got a small number of these patients. Mm.
1: Okay. okay, it's good to know. I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, it's pretty, it just struck me there. I was yeah. just thinking no, about it. No, that's really good to know. I was thinking of somebody I sent out to, I think, that's Janice right. Olson, Vincent's recently radiation-induced breast cancer. Okay. So bone-modifying drugs and breast cancer. So patients who get metastatic breast cancer that involve their bones, one of the fears used to be that these people would get fractures in the bones that were involved, which could be very difficult to heal, impact upon their quantity of life and their mobility. So we're very much aware that when we find somebody with bone secondaries, that we scan their bones to make sure they're not at high risk of a fracture, because if they are, we do preventative orthopaedic surgery. Or sometimes you use radiation for those bones. But we use a class of drugs called the bisphosphonates. and one of them is known as Zamita. And I often call it the, hardening, the bone hardening drug.
0: And um, earlier on, when you were talking about the aromatase inhibitors and saying that that can sometimes predispose you to osteoporosis, porosis. Porosis, do you use the bone strengthening? or that? No, I
2: tend to just put them calcium D3 okay. with it. Great. Okay. Some people would give a bone strengthening drug like Zamita. Mm hmm. The, edge of the setting, it seems to have some small benefit, mm. but I'm not sure if that's universally accepted. Yeah, okay.
1: okay. Um, and I think, yeah, you just mentioned there uh, pregnancy and cancer.
2: Pregnancy and breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So women get breast cancer, women become pregnant.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. And you'll often find somebody coming in for their first checkup, maybe at 12, 14 weeks pregnant, mm. and bingo, they've a lesion in their breast. Yeah. What do you do? You can do the exact same surgical approach as you would if they were not pregnant so that person you do your core biopsy and if it's malignant you can go ahead and do your wide local excision and your sentinel node biopsy or auxiliary biopsies we don't do ct scanning you don't like doing a lot of radiology Mm. in people who are pregnant but if you have to you do particularly if they're symptomatic
3: Mm.
2: in general if it's a very early stage you can hold off your radiation and your systemic treatment but if you've got a lady who's now 20 weeks and has got a large tumor and lymph node involvement what are you going to do you can actually give chemo from 24 weeks onwards
0: wow yeah can you give ac
2: yeah from 24 weeks onwards Okay. Uh, you have to monitor them and you do it very closely involved with your obstetricians mm. so what you might consider and I'm not the obstetrician, that if the baby is developed normally and a good weight and height, you might do an early delivery to re- cut down the mm-hmm. exposure of that fetus to chemotherapy.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, Just while we're on the topic of pregnancy, actually, and breast cancer, uh, Zolodex, When was, So we would gi- when would you give Zolidex?
2: In general, Zolidex is given to the premenopausal woman okay. to cut down their menstrual cycle. It also, if you like, Eliminates the risk of them becoming pregnant, mm-hmm. but in generally use it in the premenopausal women to cut down hormone production
1: So if you're ERP or positive HER2 negative HER2 negative
2: with yeah. Tamoxifen mm-hmm. And the other question is and I, I, sh- I should have looked it up What happens if you've got a young lady? She's 24 26? She gets her chemotherapy mm-hmm. And now she wants to become pregnant mm. I think if she's disease-free disease-free for three to five years. It's safe Yeah There's always a risk of breast cancer coming back. And one of the big things, and not trying to alarm people, even if you're oestrogen positive, you can relapse years later. Mm. I've had a couple of ladies up in the day ward who had their primary breast cancer 19 years ago, and now in treatment for contralateral breast cancer. Mm, So they've got to be followed forever. And they got to have their mammograms on an annual basis.
0: One thing actually we didn't mention is males with breast cancer, so I know it's a small proportion, but is it the same treatment? For, same planning you know, treatment. Same planning treatment. And they
2: tend to be estrogen positive. Okay. okay. You know, for every, I think it's about 10 women, you've one male. I have a very small number of male. Yeah. Mm. And they all, you see, many manage them the same way. You do your surgery, you do your lumpectomy. In general, they get radiotherapy. Yeah. Because they don't have a lot of tissue, so the lesion is quite yeah. close to the chest wall. Um, and then if they're high risk they get chemotherapy plus radiation if they're low risk they might get hormones alone and usually usually the hormone treatment they get is tamoxifen
1: okay. oh interesting okay okay Perfect. Yeah. is there anything you want to add prof have we missed anything at all
2: development patterns of spread genetics diagnosis pathology genomic testing oncotype staging treatment planning multiple meeting. Did you say that? You didn't mention the MDT, now. Once the lady has a lady has a diagnosis of breast cancer, all their management is discussed at a multidisciplinary meeting. Uh, I feel that's really important because at that meeting you've got the radiologists, who have done the mammograms, the MRIs, the surgeon who will be involved in the surgery, the medical oncologist and the radiotherapist. So a joint decision is often made about the best approach to managing that patient. Mm-hmm. Should we go down the road of surgery first, Followed by systemic treatment, or perhaps, is the role first of a chemotherapy for the select group with big tumours and inflammatory. So, multidisciplinary meetings and treatment planning is absolutely essential for all newly diagnosed patients with breast cancer, okay. and it happens in all the hospitals. They're managing a large volume of breast cancer patients.
0: Yeah, perfect.
2: Breast reconstruction can be done either immediately or postoperatively.
0: Is that a choice? Well,
2: it depends who's available to do it if it's immediate. Mm. Personally, I like to know all about the cancer first.
3: Okay. Yeah.
2: Whereas you do a lumpectomy and immediate reconstruction, you find that the margins are positive. Yeah. It makes life a little more difficult. It's a
3: bit messier, okay. isn't it? Yeah.
2: And most women nowadays are having lumpectomies. Mm. So big reconstruction is, is rarely done mm. immediately. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, if you have a mastectomy and it's affecting y- your quality of life, then. And reconstruction should always be considered yeah. and it's it's a lot better nowadays because there's specialists in reconstruction surgery who can do really good jobs mm. and really, really good surgery
1: thanks for listening to the answers for cancers podcast please share this podcast with anybody who you think it might help also if you can like and subscribe it lets people know we're here you can alternatively contact us on Instagram at the Answers for Cancers underscore podcast. And if you have any questions on anything that we discussed today, please email us at the Answers for Cancers podcast at gmail.com.